Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I am your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 5, where we are discussing all things coaching. My guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. Two excellent guests join me this week, so I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Uh, hello, my name's James Hamilton. I'm, I'm Director of Rugby at Nottingham High School, and I'm going to be talking a bit about a piece by Sophia Jowett. Hello, I'm Andy Drummond and I am the Athletic Development Lead at Nottingham High School, going into my fourth year there. Um, I will be talking about one of my favourite coaches, um, Dan John. He's got a series of books. I might focus more on one of his more recent publications. Gents, absolute pleasure. Thank you both for coming on. Really appreciate you giving up your time. Uh, just before we start, uh, as always, a quick reminder to check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly for links that the guys talk about today, as well as links to other resources. So, James, you are leading us off. Uh, what are you going to chat to us about? Uh, so this piece has been, um, been a, well, I think it's actually been regurgitated in, in August and September. It's on the UK coaching website and it's uh, by Professor Sophia Jowett. Um, and it's basically about how um, it's like the evolution of how coaching has um, happened. Certainly in my lifetime, I've definitely seen it. And it's a really simple infographic, which basically goes through about how great relationships equal great performances. Now, this has actually been based off, I think, a bit of a work uh, on a webinar that she did uh, with uh, Sport Northern Ireland. And that this is basically called building successful coach-athlete relationships. Now, the reason why I think this is really important is that as a teacher and a coach who has new, new students coming in year on, year out, I think it's really important to develop a relationship with that student. And the reason for this is because it allows us to create a fun, uh, enjoyable and challenging environment um, for each of those students. Um, and that helps them develop ultimately. Now, um, behind the research, as I've gone and said, is about the evolution of coaching. Now, when all of us three were, uh, sorry, if you, if you think I'm saying that you're old, uh, when, we were, when we were younger, everything was coach-centered where the coach took control of the environment. So they decided exactly what was going on. They decided how the practice was going to work. And realistically, the athlete in this uh, environment was a passive athlete. So all they did was turn up, do as they're told. On a match day, they will turn up and do as they're told. Now, the next stage of that evolution was purely athlete-centered. It's where the athlete takes control of the environment. They decide what they want to do. They decide how they want to do it. And the coach is there, hopefully, to act as a facilitator. But in that regards, the coach remains passive. Now, what Sophia Jowett is uh, effectively saying is, is that it can't be as easy as one or the other. You can't just have a coach saying that you've got to do this. You can't be just saying the athlete, oh, I want to do this. Because realistically, in a coach-athlete environment, especially at the younger age, the coach has got a lot more um, experience in, in, in that field. Now, that's not to say that the athlete doesn't have a great understanding of the game or a different way of actually taking part in the game. But she says it can't be as easy as one or the other. So... What she's suggesting is that there should be a hybrid blend of both. 
And what she's come up with is a coach athlete centered approach. Now, this is a unified approach where the coach will say, all right, we want to focus on this, this and this and maybe tee up and set off uh, an opportunity for an athlete to take control of his learning in that environment. Now, that can be quite daunting. However, I think what I've taken from this is that it, it depends on how experienced a coach you are to actually be able to go and build a coach-athlete-centred type of um, relationship. Now, she, she moves on to say about to create these uh, relationships between um, uh, the best coaches. They're the ones who are actually able to listen to relate to the individual athlete they're working with. Now, by this, I mean, they don't just say, all right, all right, what we're going to work on today? All right, are we going to go around? Uh, we're going to do some handling drills today in the, in the session. What, they're actually, what she's actually saying is, is, how do they connect to them on a more personal level? And the reason why they want to connect to them on a more personal level is so that they can relate to them, which means that they understand about that whole person. So for instance, a um, prime example, a child might walk into school one morning and they, they might not have got um, much sleep the previous night. And that simply is because they've got a young, young, son at, a young brother at home who, who kept them up all night. So they're not going to be able to perform as well as, uh, as they could on a usual day. So what she's trying to say is, is that a decent coach or somebody who is able to create a great relationship will go and see that child or player and fully understand about them so they can have a better view as to why they might not be um, performing as well in the, in, in the coaching environment. Now, what she tries to focus on is um, the, the three plus one C's. Now, it's called, uh, the first one's closeness, the second one is commitment, the third one is complementary, and the third one, uh, fourth one is co-orientation. Um, now, the first one, closeness, is about creating an effective bond uh, where they trust each other, they appreciate each other, and they respect one another. And I think that's a really important um, Thing there is the respect. I think coaching um, in particular now is about having um, being able to understand that everybody's got their own point of view and it might actually work out better for the team if you take that person's point of view. You shouldn't, be, uh, you shouldn't have too much ego as a coach to, to dismiss what um, an athlete is saying. The next one is commitment and that's maintaining that close relationship. As I've gone and said, every person comes that will have a different morning. Every person will have a different school day. Everybody will have a different type of pressure on them. Now it's up to that coach to be able to identify those pressures and try and make a little bit of allowances. I'm not saying technically treat them differently, but understand why they might not be able to do something or why somebody's able to do it better. Um, and then the next one is complementary. And that's how you work together. There's got to be some sort of synergy. And that synergy is by being open-minded, uh, open in my opinion. Um, if somebody's got a very um, dictatorial style of coaching where they're not able to understand, uh, not able to have an open mind and understand why somebody would um, do something differently, I think there's a recipe for disaster. Um, 
and then co-orientation. Co so basically, they, this one's about the same same wavelength and how they view their goal in the same way. And that is that uh, I personally think that's something that you do at the start of the season or in uh, little conversations before the start of training where you're able to have a, a frank conversation about what you want to achieve at the end of each each set period. Now, she, she says the people that are able to get these three plus one Cs together, they're the ones that make the best coaches. So um, prime example, uh, Pep Guardiola, he is able to create a fantastic relationship with his players where realistically, they're all on the same wavelength. They all want to work together. They all want to try and achieve. And that's the reason why he's been so successful. Um, it's the same with Dan Kerry and GB Hockey. His um, Rio 2016 girls, uh, women's gold medalists, they were all on the same wavelength. He created an environment where everybody worked together, where everybody tried to achieve. And then they all went and, well, obviously they went on one goal, which was fantastic. But then you've also got these other relationships where it doesn't work so well. So uh, Jose Mourinho with Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw is a fantastic left back for England. However, under uh, Jose Mourinho, he didn't. He, he, he wasn't working well. He didn't do very well in, uh, for Manchester United. He didn't do very well for England. In fact, he didn't get picked for England. But then it took a different person, um, like Gareth Southgate, to be able to have discussions with him, getting on the same wavelength, and actually be able to come up with a way to create a relationship so both player and team would push forward. Um, and for me, like I've said, I think I'm, I personally, I know I'm not the greatest coach in the world. I honestly do. Um, I'd say one of my biggest strengths in regards to my coaching is the ability to create a relationship because I understand that for you to create a relationship, you're able to get somebody on side, you're able to get them on side, you're able to work together to, to achieve a common goal. And through, um, through this, uh, this, this is how my, I'd say my coaching philosophy really works is by building, re building great relationships helps them to helps us to achieve great performances and that that's about that's about my uh, little spiel i love it uh, fantastic and i just think yeah sophia does some brilliant work uh, what i i'm a massive fan of is just how she writes like i she's one of those academics that i think puts it in a language that for a, lot of, a lot of coaches they would go i'm not going to read a research paper like i can't to my mind she puts it in a language that anybody could understand and and if yeah people listening haven't kind of looked at her work before i i would definitely not hold back in in getting stuck in because it is as it really is kind of just like reading a book and it's not it's not overly academic in in that sense so yeah and i think in regards to that especially looking at the um work that she did with sport northern ireland it's just an easy listen it's not uh, like you've kind of said it's not it's not too obviously she's a fantastic academic but um the way that she's able to speak about things and put it into a language which actually do you know what it opens it up for everybody so everybody can understand it and everybody's able to take it and uh, like i said i've um, seen the infographic that she's got on the uk coaching website it is dead simple and easy to understand so anybody could quickly grab 
and have a look at that and they were oh actually yeah i'll do this this and this and this so um, i think it's great i'm gonna jump to i guess the end of this process because i because i always think you know lots of people yeah. probably talk about athlete coach relationships at the start and how do you create them and everything else I always think the bit that maybe gets missed is how how do you manage and deal with the people that you struggle to create a relationship with? And, and maybe that's the end of the process, but I'd be quite keen to start there just to kind of delve into that a little bit more. Like what are your both your experiences of the challenging kids? Maybe they're different to you. Maybe they're just, they've got a lot going on. Like there's a number of reasons why they might be difficult, but how how do you go about engaging with them? And uh, for me is that it's... Um enthusiasm and fun um we're obviously we, we we're in a school with um, not everybody wants to play rugby uh, not everybody wants to be able to um take sport seriously our, our main job at the school is to get pupils playing sport for their health and well-being and i think the big thing is is that it's um what i'm particularly proud of what we do at nottingham high school is that all the coaches have an open mind we understand that everybody might not want to play rugby. However, what we say to them is, is that rugby can be played in so many different ways. It isn't just the contact of a boshing and a hitting each other and running into each other. It, it can be a tag, it can be rugby, it could even be end zone. As long as they're getting some sort of um, rugby-related type of game, we're happy. And I think... The reason why, I mean, we, I would say that I'm, we, we're really lucky with the calibre of coaches that we've got at the high school. We've got, um, we work on a top up, top down approach, um, so, sorry, bottoms up, top down approach, where we've got a level three coach at the top of the top of the coaching ladder, and then a level three coach at the bottom of the ladder. So everybody's pushing, and the prime example is our year sevens. Um, we split them up into four groups. Well, we, we have the ones which are confident in playing rugby, the ones which have played a little bit rugby, but they're not 100% ready to go back into it. We've got the ones that are good at sports invasion games, and we've got the ones that have really never played many games at all. And the big thing for us is that's making them understand that all of those groups are equal. It doesn't matter which group you're in, you're going to get the high-quality coaching and enthusiasm and fun in all of those because ultimately our main aim is to get them fit and active and make sure they're having fun while they're doing that and I think the nicest thing is is that because we do it in that way where there's no pressure and there's the conversations between the players and the coaches we see people actually we, we actually go from uh, those four groups into three groups because that bottom group disappears because they're confident we give them an environment where they're having fun they know what they're doing and like i said it's that um that conversation and that relationship which actually causes that group to disperse because what we do is we say to that bottom group oh we think that you're you're doing really well now maybe you want to try and move up into the next group and if they're happy to move up into the next group they go up into the next group if they're not they, then they stay down in that bottom group until they are confident so for us, I think the big thing is having that open-minded uh, concept, understanding what the bigger picture is, and ultimately making sure that they're having fun and enjoying sport. Because if everybody's enjoying their sport, regardless of what it is, they're going to be taking a lot more from it. 
and I'd say that's something that we do in the um, fitness suite as well, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, I was just going to go back to that working with um, challenging kids, like on the pitch or in the gym environment. Obviously, you can go a little bit deeper as to why they do behave like that, and sometimes it does bring the quality of sessions down and the standards. But what I kind of do with that is, I talk, well, obviously, I'm there to encourage and motivate them. Um, first and foremost, I'll ask, what do you want to get out of training? If if they're being disrupted, it might not be engaging enough for them. It might be um, they have a fear of a lack of um, ability or they don't want to get shown up. So I first and foremost have those conversations, but never. It's hard to it's hard to say it really, but yeah, just just keeping on top and motivating them um, as much as I can, whilst seeing the other people um, to make sure that they get what they need out of the session. Because um, yeah, it does. It does kind of it does kind of negatively affect gym sessions in particular when you've got someone challenging because you're you're trying to have eyes everywhere in the gym gym environment. Um, but I think the way me and me and James do it because we're quite big personalities in there. We if we see something like that, it's not right. Get out of the gym. They don't come back. You you banned for a week or whatever. It's like well, come on, let's let's see what you can do. Um, give them lots of praise, um, even if it's just something basic. Because often it is just that that confidence that they're lacking. Um, does that make sense, James? Do you see where I, do you see where I'm coming from? No, no, I hundred percent do. And I think that um, it usually they uh, when they do go into the gym in their own time and they start disrupting, it's because they, they they're a little bit insecure about what they actually want to do in the gym. They, because unfortunately, they, there is this stigma that uh, people who go in the gym, the whole thing they want to do is go in and get massive and get big and strong well I think it's taken a bit of time and a bit of a culture shift that when as Andy's gone and said when they come into the gym if they want to go into the gym it's their gym if they want to achieve something we're there to help them achieve it it doesn't matter what it is and the nicest thing is is that we get a variety of different people in that gym um and the reason why is because we're open and we, we they know that they're welcome to come in and I think everything like going, I know I'm bringing it back to that work is that we create a relationship. We make sure that they understand that we're there to listen to them. And I think the biggest thing is, is that I'm so, like, as I've gone and said, rugby in general, not saying that it's a toxic masculinity type thing, but usually people are there because they, they go in the gym because they want to get big. They want to get, they want to get strong, but we're, we try to get them to understand that actually, the gym is about them actually beating themselves, getting stronger themselves, working towards what they want to do. And I think it's really nice when you walk into our high school gym that you have a variety of different sports in there. It's not it's not just the boys pumping iron. It, 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 you could have somebody from table tennis. You could have somebody doing from uh, the badminton club. You could have somebody from the rugby club. And they could all be working in a group together because they understand that they're there to train. They're not there to do anything else other than, um, well, basically get better for their sport. Andy, I've got to say, I love the fact that you said, you know, disruptive kids. Um, it may be because the session's not engaging. And, and I often wonder whether as coaches, we are able to be that self-critical. Do you know what I mean? I think it's very easy to stand there and go, oh, well, it's the kid that's disruptive not and then maybe that's a little bit a bit of an ego thing or a self-awareness thing for coaches rather than going hold on like is is this session actually at that point where 
as you say, there's peak engagement, there's peak challenge. It's not too easy. It's not too hard. How do you assess that? And again, does that just come back down to, to knowing their level? Like, what does that look like when they come in as a year seven? How, how do you find that kind of sweet spot around engagement? Um, well, for a year seven, um, we, well, we do, we introduce the gym during PE lessons. They have two blocks. So we do a variety, like a, a big variety of things in there. We do some fun fitness testing, if there is such a thing as fun fitness testing. Basic kind of... No, certain, there isn't. It's, it's, no, no, no <laughs> it's a real simple answer to that, no. They seem to enjoy it at that age for some reason. It's the older ones who don't. Anyway, yeah. I think it's, it's, all, it's all novel. It's all novel for them, you see. So they walk in there and they're, they're, the face lights up. They, you know, it, it's, it, at the end of the day, it's like a professional standard gym that we have at the school. So they can't believe it. They come in they're like, wow, look at all, look at all this equipment. So um, it's not, oh, you can't go down that end until you're year nine. No, it's... I'm going to go and teach them how to do things safely because the more than likely I have older siblings, um, the parents, and they're going to do stuff at home as well. So definitely from an educational point of view, it's like I'm going to try and teach them as much, much as possible whilst obviously um, keeping it fun because they are kids. Um, but yeah, going back to like variety, we'll, yeah, we'll show them basics of like circuit training, like I mentioned, we'll do some, we've got like technique bars out. So we'll get them doing some very like basic Olympic lifting and, like they love the sense of achievement of be able to pick a bar up above the head, even if it's weighs 10 kilograms, you know, and it's already putting that confidence into them. Cause obviously in a year seven, you get such like a variety of like shapes and sizes, heights and things like that. So there's that. And then there's, there's a lot of kids who've come from more of a, like a, a traditional, like cross country background. Um, so we go out and do like a run around the, the local park near the school. Um, so for me, I don't, I don't really have a problem with, um, engagement so much is part of PE lessons because it's 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 fun but when they get up to year eight and I invite them in in their own time in the gym that's when it starts to get a little bit harder because um as a like a as a coach as an SNC coach um like the dream is to have everything very kind of regimental and you're going through all the sets and reps with the exact rest periods and stuff like that but it just completely doesn't work with younger age groups you know, you, you, you teach them how to train, they're in the training to train um, bracket and obviously they're still doing all the fundamental stuff. So I kind of will um, often talk about the older year groups to try and keep them engaged and motivated. Or oh, this is what the senior rugby boys do. You're going to do the exact same workout. Um, the weights are going to be different. They obviously understand that. Um, and then that's, that's um, we kind of expand on it from there and, get them working in little groups so they've got a sense, sense of ownership over that and I start to teach them how to be coaches in a way and say boys or girls if I'm training girls as well in there look out for things if, if it looks wrong stop stop your friends make sure everything's safe think of little little tips did the feet look like they're in the right position and they, they actually like that they like taking ownership and um, the buy-in from that's pretty good and like the, the best thing for me well this is more so with the older year groups is I can actually walk out the gym, go and grab a quick drink from the water fountain, come back in, and they're just stood there all helping each other out in little little groups. And it's, it's so good to see. And you, you hear some some louder ones who will be shouting at someone down the gym or what to do. Oh, you, you stood wrong. Oh, yeah. That's the wrong attachment you've got on the cable machine. It just, it just makes you smile. But I, I, think, think, I, I was going to say, Andy, I think the nicest thing about it is the fact that um, you can – 
if a new um, a newbie comes into the gym, there will always be somebody there to help him. We've created you've, there's that environment where everybody's there to help achieve that common goal, and it's nice it, because of a new person usually goes in and tries to lift the heaviest weight, don't they? That's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> straight away and and the nicest thing is is that the, the, the more experienced ones will actually no no no, no. Let, let's take it back to the beginning and and it's it's an, it's a nice environment to be in isn't it but yeah yeah i think it's all a, it's all about like having different kinds of role models as well with the young kids obviously where where the older role models you know we've we've done done sport we've been through that um but i think to be fair like they're, they're a bit more interested in what what the other the other kids to do in aren't they over us so if you can well get... i think that's what we've done in the past hasn't it we, we kind of you kind of champion your um your, your your more highly gifted performers and say oh well look you're in the same gym as uh, well prime example we had um mecca didn't we mecca leone the leicester tigers he was at the gym when he came into the gym everybody wanted to be in the gym because they wanted to emulate what he did um and it's the same with like um, uh, James Ford, the, the rower. They saw that uh, a GB rower was in the gym. Let's get in the gym because we can be like him. And I think those real models that you're talking about is one is the reason why it's so successful. And I think the nicest thing is is that it's it's um, it's going across all genders. So we, you're starting to get. Uh, I think it's a, it's a year tens where there are more females in the gym. And there are males simply because the girls want to aspire and they bring in more and more girls into the gym and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's important to, to note that they do, again, they do the same workout, don't they? It's Actually not the just, same workout, yeah. Not just the stereotypes of all oh, the girls just go no. in the corner on the mats and just work on, on core and stuff like that. They're, they're picking up barbells and and there's no there's, it's just they all just get on don't they and it's just yeah but i but think I, I think that works so well that in the gym environment because it's something we've created we literally like yeah. i don't know i don't really know what the old school gym was like before i got there it was a brand new facility but we've we've kind of built it we've built the program up from scratch and we've kind of made it our own and it's like there's it's, always a smiling face in there from a teacher yeah. There's always you or me or, or uh, Mr. Rookin in there and we're always smiling and we're always there for a chat and we're always listening and, and giving advice, even if they're not actually, even if they're not actually uh, wanting to take it. We're, we're always in them. Sometimes they're actually telling us to shut up and let, let <laughs> us get on with it. But I think it's that environment, like you kind of said, you, the, the relationships which have been created in I think that's a good good thing about the advice because um, with some of the older students in there, they start to learn about other training methods. Um, obviously, highly active on um, social media, Instagram, and sometimes I'll see them doing something which I know is probably not the best thing for them. But rather than just be like, oh, "Don't do that," you shouldn't do that. You know, I, I'll go up and say, "Oh, um, do you know what that does? Why are you doing that? You know, can you? Where have you seen that?" Um, you know, question it and then they start to think critically about what they're doing and they're like, yeah, maybe it isn't the best thing for me or sometimes they, they'll just, you know, do it anyway because, I, I don't know, it's just because they've literally seen someone famous on Instagram do it, but I don't, I don't want it to ever be, like, so strict that you, you can't, you have to train a certain way when you get to that age because 
the end of the day, they're going to go away at some point and do their own thing anyway. So as long as they don't see this um, this kind of figure in the gym of authority, who you have to train my way, my way is the best. It's, you know, and I'll... I'll well, that, I'll, goes I'll, straight, that goes straight into, you've got that coach-athlete relationship where you're yeah. sounding them and you, you're, you're, you're coming up with the ideas together about what they want to achieve. And I think it's, it, you've got... Um, You've got to think that these some of the children that go in the gym, they like going in the gym, and yeah, they want to get better for the sport that they're playing. But realistically, they're there to get keep fit and healthy. And um, like you've gone and said, it's about that trade-off between should they should they be doing it? Is it going to be beneficial? Is it actually? I think the biggest thing is is as long as they don't do harm to themselves, and it's it's something where you have that discussion with them to make sure that it's safe. And get them to think about why they're doing it, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. It, it, oh, sorry, I was going to say it like uh, I was thinking of an extreme example. Um, it's kind of like you have things like obviously a contraband, like you shouldn't drink, you shouldn't smoke, um, and you shouldn't eat all this unhealthy food. But I think if you if you kind of talk to kids on on like you've got to be a, a, in a position of authority, but you sometimes need to get to their level and and know be realistic and you know if, you, if you're going to do something that you know isn't the best thing for you at least consider the consequences of it do you see where I'm trying to come from with that I don't know if I if I made sense with that with that point no there. no 100% I, I, I'm disappointed you didn't put curls in the squat rack as contraband to be completely honest like <laughs> oh, no yeah that, that's um, one of the only thing I'll, I'll, I'll shout at <laughs> the only time I shout in the gym it's like get out that squat rack if you curl in there no, that's, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's like, I'm, I'm thinking a bit unrelated, but I'm thinking about like the, um, the I don't know how I'm going to get from this from gym culture, but you know, like we've got a, a bad, really bad drinking culture in this, in this country, the younger people is because they, it's always been seen as like, oh, you should never drink. Or, and then when it comes round to it, cause it's always been again, contraband. They, they, they go just, crazy. Yeah, they go crazy. And whereas you look at somewhere like France and Spain, where it's a little bit more, it's part of their culture and they're, they're taught to be sensible about things. It's not, it's not to say that in those families they're being forced alcohol, but, you know, they haven't got that desire to, when it finally comes to going to be stupid about it. And what I'm trying to say is, in a way, <laughs> the gym is slightly like that. You know, it's... I, I completely get what you mean. I, I think there's a lot of there about just being human. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? I, I, as teachers or, or people in authority, uh, you definitely sit there and go, well, how much do I want these young people to know about me? But I think if, if you can tell some stories and you probably admit some of the details, but, oh, well, I remember when I did this and that wasn't a great idea. Like, they, it's not the I, I told you so moment, but it's definitely the, I, I, look, I was your age once. Like, we've all done some dumb stuff. We've all kind of had the same thoughts about, oh, well, can I get away with this or whatever? So. I think they kids probably don't realize or recognize that in the adult. And yeah. I think that's probably on the adult as I guess the term is kind of meet them where they are. Like, can you just be a human being to them rather than Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so it's yeah. Like guys, like I went out and got drunk once. Like, yeah, this, this stuff happens. Like I don't, oh, yeah. I don't think there's an issue with people sharing those types of experiences because it, it just relates like the kids relate to that and go, well, they had the same challenge. Like life doesn't, it's not that different. I think when, um, well, when I first started out teaching, they always they always talked about having a divide between you and creating a barrier between you and your students. Now, 
I, I honestly believe that the longer, well, the longer I've been teaching, that divide is gradually getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's, that's not to say that um, I wouldn't advise a, a young teacher or a young coach to create, create a massive barrier and then narrow it down. It's just, I think that in today's environment, I think in, in today's society, that you've got to be a little bit, like you've got to said, a little bit more open and explain to them, share that you're on, the, you're on that same wavelength and you know that they went through it. I mean, I can remember um, at one of my old schools that I knew that the boys were going to go out and uh, go out to a party the night before a fixture. And it wouldn't matter how many times I told them to not go out. Unfortunately, they had to play that Saturday morning and they lost and they didn't feel very well about it. I think we may have had a few people on the sidelines in the hedges, but um, they've got to learn from their mistakes in regards to that. And even though you do go and give that, um, well, don't do it, don't do it. Sometimes that experience they've got to have, they've got to experience it for themselves. Otherwise they just, well, they just think you know, you're going to be getting on at them. But like I said, going back to that narrowing the gap, I think I think the, oh, most of the children, uh, most of the uh, students at the at the school know know who my wife is. They know who my two children are. They they see them running around on match days, and I'm more than happy to have a conversation. Oh, you how are your children? Does he play rugby or does she play rugby? And I, I I love talking to them, and I think by creating that openness, creating that rapport. It gets them to understand me a little bit more. It lets me understand them a little bit more about what they like. And you've always got a common thing to go to. You've always got something that you can talk about because I think the, the, the big thing in coaching going back is, is the fact that just because you're a coach, you don't always have to talk about coaching. You don't always have to talk about rugby. You don't you talk, talk about anything just to get on that same wavelength, just to get create that rapport because ultimately once they see that you're human like you and said Phil and they want to say I they know that I'm just a regular human being then um then they're more open and uh, receptive to what you've got to talk about I think it's it's quite interesting just how hard you might have to work for that as well like I, I distinctly remember a conversation so I'd have been uh, I went to uni as a mature student, so I was like 30 by the time I left. Um, fourth year was was coaching the team as well, and I took some of the freshers in that fourth year back um, from Cheltenham to Gloucester, and was was kind of just trying to do right. Let's let's spark up some conversation in the car because it was dead silent for a few minutes. And um, all right, so guys, how have you got on with this? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, okay, right. Well, the next question: uh, what, what, What's happening here? No, no, no I'm not much. Oh, I'm like, geez, this is hard work. So probably for about 10 minutes, it was just one word answered, one word answers. And then I think the question dropped around like who, who had hooked up with who on a night out. And oh my God, I couldn't shut them up. And suddenly there was just this, like they're straight into it. Like they're all talking to each other. And, and I was just like that, that really, I could have just left that. I, you know, at some point I'm kind of in my head, but like this is like pulling teeth maybe I'll just put the radio on and we'll just listen and I'll sit in silence. But actually I was, I was just really pleased, persevered with the conversation. And I, I think lots of coaches probably experience that quite a lot of the time there, there will be kids that just, as you say, they're not, they're not in the mood to talk, but actually just keep, keep nudging, keep finding something. And then once it's there, you're going to grasp it. And, and that's the door almost, whether it's open yeah. completely, or at least it's, it's semi-open. But that's, that's the art, isn't it? I think it's about knowing, 
Um, again, I think the older you get, the more experiences that you have with lots of different types of students, lots of different people, you know when you can start to nudge them a little bit, you know when you've got to be quiet, you're able to pick up on their body language and see that thing. But like, as you've gone and said, one slight thing where you're able to find um, a bit of common ground, boom, it's all open. And then I can guarantee that made them more receptive to you. And when it came to your next training session, oh, yeah, maybe a little cheeky joke, oh, are you still there? And boom, you've, you've got them. And, and then that just makes everything so much easier. And, be, and I think with the relationships is they want to come. You've cap, if I, I say something like capture their imagination and, infu and, and then infuse. And then basically, even though you've not actually talk, talked anything about uh, the sport you want, you've captured their imagination because they're looking forward to coming to have a chat. Um, I think obviously the, the big thing is, is um, and again, the more experienced you, you are, you learn how to keep that, keep the right amount of distance between you and the, uh, you and the, the people that you, you're working with. But um, I think it's so important that triggering a conversation, be it, oh, oh, so what are you doing on the weekend? Or, or what are you doing after school today? Oh, you're going anywhere nice? Oh, did you see the football match? Anything just to spark a conversation is really important and for me the one that I use I mean especially year sevens they carry around all their books and it it, it doesn't matter they, they've always got they've always usually got a reading book in their hand and the one that I always go to is oh what are you reading and honestly they'll they'll open up straight away about a book and then you've got that and then when you pass them on the corridor the next time oh how is it is he is he really good oh yeah yeah, yeah. and then you've got them and creating that relationship they might hate sport they might never want to play it but you know that in your lesson they know that you're going to have a good chat about something they'll do something for you because realistically they think that you're a nice person so they're going to do is what you ask and then you've got them and i'd say that's the same thing um i think that's a, the same thing as the in the gym as well it, it's crazy um, Andy's gone and said that we do a little fitness test. Now, when people say fitness test, these kids love it because we, we put little challenges on it and it's all about getting the gold star. It's all about getting the gold star. And honestly, it's so funny. The amount of, even the quietest children come out and say, can I do it again? Even though they're absolutely dripping with that, but because they're fun and they've enjoyed it, they want to go again. I, I guess that's the engagement factor, isn't it? It kind of just loops full circle, actually. If, if you can find something that challenges them at the right point, that's that's mm. that perfect kind of space in between, yeah, then then they're on the hook and, and it's an easy ride from there, isn't it? So, mm. Andy, were you going to jump in? I'm just I'm just conscious of time. Uh, I, was, I was just going to go back to something that James said, like a quote, I wrote it down on my notepad. He said, um, most important thing is to build a relationship and within a school I know this is kind of obvious but there's so many different kinds of personalities like throughout each year group even each form each set is completely different and you've got to be able to react to that so I can have a really good year nine PE lesson and then have another group of year nines and they're completely different and it's oh, it can be it can be so stressful sometimes so you you've just got to you know how to change the um, environment um, be it in the gym or out on the pitch got to be very reactive and for me being an SSC coach we're taught 
at the professional and we, we'll try and do everything by the professional model you know the sports science model essentially um, elite sport and I've worked I've worked in professional sport and yes you do get different personalities but they're there to focus on their job at the end of the day where the kids aren't thinking long term and you know it's it's like like I said the age or where they where they live everything like that can affect affect them so you've got to be so flexible as a, as a coach within a school and and building the relationship be it on an individual basis or sometimes it's just better to and easier just to have a relationship with the actual group and find like common ground something that they all seem to be into be it some crazy dance that they're they're currently doing or like a catchphrase you know what I mean try and incorporate that and James is really good at that I'll always hear him howling something from the sports or like some random little phrase but the kids love it and that works for that group and he's he's known you know he's got the ability to be able to adapt to that group but then one that comes in who's be, who've been slacking a little bit it might be like come on think about the standards and think about wearing the right kit and stuff like that particularly the um the socks James that's a big one for you isn't it <laughs> I wonder whether you would just class that all as emotional intelligence you know I'm dead, dead I'm, I've no doubt it's not research I've read but I, I I'm sure there would be a huge amount of research around the levels of emotional intelligence good coaches have you know that innate ability just to as you say almost get a benchmark of the collective or the individual and then be able to judge very quickly where where that group is at and adapt um to that so maybe that's a conversation for another day as i said i am i am conscious of time so um i guess we'll, we'll park that one there there's never enough time i say this literally every week so um andy we will come to you what is it you're going to chat to us about oh, okay so i'll try and keep this brief um well I, one of my favorite coaches uh, american coach um, dan john he's been coaching for over 40 years and one of his more recent books is um, actually called 40 years with a whistle and yeah, it's it's like when you read it, it's got all the like cliche American high school stories and the old coaches from back in the seventies um, and and things like that. But yes, he's a great coach and he can write good programs, identify the key exercises. Um, but it's his kind of it's his outlook on life and his simple advice. It's this like I've wrote I've wrote this down again. Simplicity. I've wrote it about five times and and that's kind of the way my coaching's been shaped. It started off like I mentioned before that the going to university to do a master's degree in strength and conditioning working in professional um sporting environment you know i went through the everything was research led and current um but then as soon as you go into a school and you've got to go back to like the kind of um well old school approach because the the basics still work and it's it's so evident within school that the basics work and simplicity um you know, like things like his nutrition advice he says try and eat eight different vegetables a day that doesn't mean portions that just get the colors on your plate and that's like quite common advice from sports nutritionists anyway but that's simplifying it and that's something you can you can tell to to pupils um and it's a bit of a challenge for them they might like that you know because um they, again they, they do like um, the competitive side of things like that so they'll they'll actually go and do it and then in the in the dining hall they'll come over and show me the plate and be like look got eight different colors i was like eight different veg like excellent excellent um yeah nutrition advice um like drink water you know it's just that, that simple eat vegetables eat protein drink water and it you're like well is there anything else because kids are always 
they're, they're often looking for that, that secret ingredient. It's like, no, that's what works. That's what athletes do. That's what you need to do. You just need to find a way to, to put that into your very hectic skill life. And uh, particularly with like some of the, some of the um, boys and girls who are struggling to get enough calories in to fuel their sport and they're thinking that they have to go through this like extreme diet or nutrition strategy. It's, it's, no, sometimes the, the advice is so simple. Eat foods that you enjoy eating to be aware of more nutritious products, but make it as easy as possible for you so that you can maintain it over the long run. And that applies to, to training in general, doesn't it? You know, the, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Because you've got to think with, um, I'm talking about school kids here and the way they look at um, fitness, um, health and fitness, they, they see some, they're influenced by, again, going back to social media and they see some extreme training regimes and, and things like that. And they think, oh, that's what, that's what I have to do. And they forget about the basics or maybe they don't have an understanding of, well, that's what a lot of the pros did originally. Yes, they might not be doing that now, but you know that there's a there's a different reason for that. Um, good example is um, Tom Brady, um, who's got his own training system. Now he's at towards the end of his career. You know all the Super Bowl rings that he had. So one of the kids in in school is a is an American football fan. Um, so he's thinking, well, that's how Tom Brady trains. Um, he doesn't do weightlifting, so I have to do that. And it's like, well, what do you think Tom Brady did for all those years? To get to that point you know you, of course he lifts weights um and you just got to explain that to them and he probably had a very simple program back then but his, his new complicated bells and whistles program is there's maybe there's a financial incentive in this you you know explaining things like that to the kids um yeah it, going back to his like adherence to to exercise and he dan john he talks about in this book um and habits how habits uh your bulk of your life is is habits and he mentioned something that he got from another guy called um shark habits and i think these are really good and really good for school kids because the things a shark habits basically something you can do in one bite and it's done it's gone with and it just frees up frees up your mind frees up your mind from all this clutter so it might be for for us it might be answering an email as soon as you get it rather than putting it into a folder or flagging it or whatever like that for a for a kid it might be oh, I don't know if, if you get time to do your to do your homework literally do it straight away um, come to the gym in the morning so it's done with you don't have to worry about getting in at lunch and affecting your your food um, prepare things the night before um, a good day starts the night before so um, for the rugby players I'm always getting at them to have like a really good pre-match prep the night before and have have their um their like match nutrition set up in advance all the kit in the bag and just like really simple basic things like that but just like drilling it into the into the heads every week um yeah he mentions being a, being a slave to good habits and it might be a bit extreme advice to to um, children that say that that probably applies more to um to adults but yeah it's 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 about just the way he presents his his writing his kind of outlook on life and Yes, he's been doing it for forty years, and he he's got the the hindsight to look back and to tell people it's you know it's little and little and often over the long haul, which gets you where you need to be. Um, I could I could go on quite quite a, a while about Dan John to be honest, but with you saying you press for time, so basically he just 
takes all his experience over his 40 years of coaching and just makes it so so simple and enjoyable to actually read he's got loads of really good anecdotes and um and little things like that and just his little little tiny bits of advice um but i think this what i've written down here at the bottom this is very applicable when i'm saying about um kids will often look for that shortcut um like how do i how do i bowl faster in cricket um how do i run faster in athletics and dan john has a quote of um he says sprinters sprint jumpers jump throws throw and you think yeah and you when you say that to a kid how do i how do i bowl a ball harder in cricket um practice bowling a ball how do i run faster um go into sports hall and do some sprints you know and they're, they're like look at you uh oh, is there not more to that surely there must be more to that no it's sometimes it's that simple but what you've got to be able to do is repeat that every week for a long period what's the what's the school school life like five years and then you'll be where you need to be so you know I'm, I'm always thinking about preparing them for life outside of school and exercise you know into their adult years um you know for me it's not really my mission to like make anyone a pro athlete i think if anything i'd i'd, I'd be more satisfied with hearing that 10 years down the line that they're still training and enjoying it and you know a part of that for me that that comes from listening to coaches like like Dan John, who has, you know, has that experience at working with that age group. I love that. Thank you very much. Um, do you think we need to do a better job selling the ninety nine percent? Like, uh, you know, from a rugby perspective, I, I guess Clive Woodward was probably the first one I came across, and and he would talk about the um, the one percent and actually well if you get all the one percent right they add up and then you've got kind of Brailsford and the the cycling kind of marginal gains and I, I'm not a massive fan of generalizing so like the whole Gen Z thing but are we are we just living in a world now where lots of people look for hacks and cheats and nobody really wants to do the basics exceptionally well like they're all looking for that one percent rather than the 99 percent so I'm just wondering how do do we need to sell the 99% better and maybe how do you guys go about reframing that in young people that are just looking for the, the you know the small percentile rather than something that's actually going to make them you know give like as you say diet a good diet good hydration maybe that's like 20% difference one <laughs> percent that's like there's bigger wins than a one percent somewhere um how, yeah how do you go about doing that so we we um so Andy, you've been at the school for about three, two, three years, haven't you now? And um, we started out, and um, it was conversations between me and Andy where we were just basically saying the most important thing is to get the building blocks in place because you can't have a de- you, you you can't be, build a decent house unless you've got a decent foundation. Um, and we've always said that we we in the gym in year seven, everything that we do starts with the basic building blocks. And Andy's gone and said it, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. But as you've gone and said, we, we try and instill that in the younger age group. However, this is going on to a massive um, thing. Social media is such now that you've got instantaneous results, as you've gone and said. So literally, oh, well, this guy's gone and done this and they've gone, they, they, they do it like this. But the problem is, is that the reason why they're doing that is because they've actually put in the building blocks. They never look how they they always want to see the end product rather than like you've gone and said, build in that basis. Now, 
I think um, for us as school teachers and, and coaches, at, um, especially with the youngest, it's about getting that um, culture in where they've got to understand you. Actually, do you know what? If you want to be the best or you want to run as fast as you can or you want to be as fit as possible, then you've got to hit the line. So we talk a lot about hitting the line. And um, we've got um, people that will miss the line or when, when, when we're doing sprints and things, they'll turn just before the line. And the nice thing is, is that because of the, the building blocks we've put in place, people will start calling people up on that. However, like you've gone and said, it's not, it's not for the majority. The majority do want those quick fixes. And I don't know, Andy, how do you reckon? It, it's just about creating that culture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's a difficult one. Um, I suppose, like, I think I mentioned it before. I think the best the best thing to do because the basics like doesn't really sell does it no. you know but we we know it does but it's because we've got that we've got that hindsight we can look back and think oh, i wish i just really focused on doing the basics well so it's like how do you how do you get a group of people who aren't as experienced to buy into that you need to have like i think we were, what we said before the role models you need to have good examples of how well the basics do work you know, do you know what I mean? It's all right. Like I mentioned before, like um, a Tom Brady or something like that. You, I don't think you should use him as an example of the basics. You use like what we said before, maybe a, a year 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you know Do you know what I mean? You say like, well, this this boy or girl started training the same time as you or a little bit later than you actually. They did. They mastered the basics. They, they did barbell work. They did sprints. They did jumping and they're now pushing the senior team and then you remind them well they they actually started a year after you so you've got a year head start on them you know and then and then that that gives them something that that motivates them that motivates them well and then they think okay then yeah and you get they they want to go and do the program that 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 person did that's why i found from from a gym point of view when i'm trying trying to sell the basics but we Oh, sorry, Phil. Go on. Okay, go on, James. No, no, no. I was, I was just going to say, I think that it's, it's a difficult one because like, when they see um, when they see what goes on in the gym and they see some people who are bigger than them at the end of the they, they do want to go, oh, I want to get like that straight away, and they try and copy them. And it's one of, like we've gone and said, I think we've said it all along, it's about creating that balance between, yeah, you've got to copy them and you, you want to aspire to be them. That's absolutely fantastic. But it's also actually no understanding your limitations as well. Because I think the biggest thing that we're finding at the minute is that we, we all know about different somatotypes and things like that. You'll have one child who will come into the gym and I want to be like that guy. Well, sorry, fella, it's, it's just not going to happen that way. And I think we, we've got to, it, it's about educating them. And I think the hardest thing is actually trying to get across to them in a way that they understand it. That is the hardest thing trying to get them to understand that just because you even if you were to do exactly the same program as him the results might be different on this guy than this guy and I think that's the difficult thing because they, they just can't seem to comprehend because like like you've gone and said they're looking for those quick fixes they look on TikTok they look on Instagram they see that oh this guy's doing this 
and their mate might have done it and they got great results, but they try it and they're not getting great results. So it's maybe kind of managing expectations as well about what they're actually able to achieve. Um, I think that's a really good point, actually, just just maybe bringing it back to the goals that they've set themselves or that, you, you know, you collectively you've set. And I mean, this is certainly something we I looked at uh, in quite a lot of detail and it was probably really just trying to take a theory and actually apply it. And, and it was around just self-determination and actually just understanding it well enough to go. What does that look like? So the the goals were okay. Let's start breaking down the goals in terms of where I or they think the motivation for that goal is coming from, and then actually just kind of laying in the the autonomy bit. Uh, you know, I think the cell as we we're kind of touching on is is making competence um, sexy almost like making competence, making yourself slightly better at something session to session or week to week a real achievement. Because I'm not sure, I'm genuinely not sure how often we do that as coaches. I think it can get lost in the, we're winning matches and, and things are happening. And, and I often think that, I, I would talk a lot about the conditioning we do and we do some, um, you know, max aerobic speed stuff. Because a lot of the girls will say, it never feels easier. And I'm like, no, but literally look on the floor at the distance you were running four weeks ago and you're now 30 metres further in the same time. So that, that is a real tangible outcome where you can see that there has been a difference in the work that you're doing. And I, I'm just wondering how maybe do we need to sell that better? Like the gym's great for that because actually they can see the weight go up or they can see the progression in the exercises and competence becomes a real, yeah, a real goal for them in, it, in and of itself, which then probably underpins everything else. But actually just do do we do enough of that as coaches to really kind of push that and and i guess build it into the environment i think we we in a in a way we're in a bit more of an enviable position because we're in a school because we do get to see them a lot more um um because i know this one because because we're a school we teach so in our lessons we teach them about self-reflection i mean a lot of our tutor set is about self-reflection, creating those smarter targets. So for us, what we try to identify with, get them to identify is, is that we're not always going to be there to actually tell you what you need to do to get better. And it's up to you to try and self-reflect on what you can do to try and get better. And we, we try and, and, for instance, our games lessons, the first part of every games lesson is to get out of the change room, go work on what you need to get better go do it, go find somebody who's got a similar, if you want to go find somebody who's got a similar type of uh, uh, work on, you go and do it. And it's totally unscripted. And basically they go and do that. But I think the biggest thing is, is that, and, and like I've kind of said, we're, we're in that lucky position that we have been able to educate them early on to our expectations of what we want them to achieve. And that is how we do it. I think we are just able to, constantly reinforce those standards that come on we're not always going to be around for you to get better and like we've gone and said I think the whole thing that Andy's gone and said what I've gone and said is that really we just want them to become fit and healthy people now the one thing about PE in general is that it offers a lot of life skills and if they're able to identify and self-reflect in PE they're able to then go out into the wide world and self-reflect and identify what they need to do to get better in other things and because and I think there's sometimes the transition going from school to university is a massive shock to them because 
in a school environment, they're always usually told what they have to do to get better. And when they get to university, well, realistically, you're on your own. You have to identify. So we're trying to instill that life skill with them from an early age to get them to self-reflect. And I think, like I said, that's one thing that we do really hammer home. But we're in that lucky position because we see them so often. And we try, we contact, like, like we've gone and said today, I'll be walking down, oh, so what do you think you need to do better from your, your, your match of the weekend? Oh, yeah, I need to do that. I said, oh, what about the team? Oh, this. And that two minutes conversation, a bit of self-reflection, they've got that in their head and then they'll go out and do it. Now, when we get down to the field on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever it may be, there will be, if people are standing around, you'll get the coaches going and having a facilitate try and find out and have that conversation with them to try and do it but like you said we're in that lucky position where we're able to reinforce those standards day in day out get them to reflect day in and day out because ultimately we see it as a massive importance for them to be able to do that for them to progress not just in sport but in life in general um so to answer your question phil i think education is is, is, is the biggest way to try and do it i think from an outside point, I don't know. I bet, I bet there'd be a way to actually, like, I don't know, create a short, sharp video skill session, 10, 20 seconds. Right, do this, 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 boom, gone. And then if you would create a, I don't know, maybe that's a, maybe that's actually a, a business idea that is on TikTok where we're able to do skill sessions which are seen in 20 seconds and then. I think the Magic Academy boys might have beat you to that, mate, because that oh. sounds very much like Rocket Rugby, to be fair. So, oh, um, man. Oh. A few weeks too late. He's but, on it. But no, but I think you're right. I think in just in terms of, I guess, it's the, the video game design principles of, of levels maybe just become yeah. really applicable. And I remember a guy I was mentoring in... Um, in Vancouver, who's an SNC coach, and a lot of our conversations were how, how effectively could we like gamify or level up in the gym. So what what are the four or five different levels you could have for certain lifts or certain exercises? And and then, you know, how do you reward competence? Because that's ultimately, it's easy to go in and try and lift the biggest way possible, isn't it? Like it's the same way you can go out and you try and throw the biggest pass possible. Like the people will always want to go to the extreme of that. But actually, how how can we just bring that back and go like this? This is really high quality competence. And then you're going to be recognized for this and you're going to be rewarded for this. And you see that, own, you know, you you drive your own development because that's important to you. And yeah, I, I think there's maybe, yeah, definitely lots of ways to to start thinking about that. But it's, as you say, it, it almost becomes a curriculum then, doesn't it? And, I, and lots of people, like people will hear the word curriculum and go, oh, it's really prescribed and there's dangers with that. And I think it's, but it's about making almost a, um, a curriculum that that's wide enough for those individuals to, as you say, you know, almost get their own um, autonomy within that. Like they're choosing their path through this. It's not you as the coach saying like, you're going to have an input, obviously, but actually how do you want to map your own way through to achieve your goal and and then reverse it. But I, I have to say, I love the fact you're, you're really kind of pushing reflection because it's for people that listen every week It's one of my big bugbears, like the, everything about coaching now is challenging athletes and young people and people in general to reflect. And I'm just not sure. I think it's a huge missing piece that we don't do enough on it. 
Well, I, I mean, I saw the the RFU tried to bring it in, and I saw some of their templates that they came that 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 they pushed out to the local clubs, and I, I think it's a cracking idea. But I think uh, having discussions with some of the local coaches, they were like, "Well, we're all about equity in our coaching, and if some people don't want to do it, and some people do do it, does that make us look like we're favouring the ones that want to do it, and then the ones that don't want to do it look like they're getting shunned?" And I think. In regards to that, it's about having the opportunity to. If they want to do it, great. They they should be rewarded because they want to self-reflect. If that if somebody comes to you asking your advice, well done to them. They they'll get my they'll get all my attention if they want help. If the ones which are happy to, you know, turn up, play a game because they enjoy playing the game, and then go home and do nothing, fine. That's up to them. And I think we're in, it's a difficult. I think. We're now in that, it's a difficult one. If you, if you want the people which are more likely to try harder, self-reflect, take the time out to start writing, those are the ones that will be the ones which go further in that sport simply because they're the ones that are constantly self-reflecting and moving forward. They're the ones that are thinking about the bigger picture. And ultimately, they will be the ones which will be going away from the training session and going out in their back garden and kicking and passing the ball against the tree because they want to get better. And that is that self-determination drive, which differentiates between uh, a really fantastic world-class rugby player and somebody who has the talent to be the best, but unfortunately they just don't really um, reach it. I mean, for me, I always, I always say to the uh, students, uh, at school, who who are like the best fly halves? Name some fly halves. And we're like Finn Russell, um, back in my day, Johnny Wilkinson, <laughs> Dan Carter, and stuff. And I said, honestly, I can guarantee, talent-wise, natural talent, natural ability, there will probably be some people outside of this world who could have been the greatest, could have been better. But the reason why Dan Carter, Finn Russell, Johnny Wilkinson are so good is because they have that relentlessness to keep driving. They self-reflect, drive again, self-reflect, drive again. And the determination is what is what separates the, the greats to, to the ones that could have been. Do you, do you not find, James, uh, with self-reflection, some of the, the more abled um, like students in our school are too overly self-critical? It's the go-to, isn't it? They do, they do identify things they've done well, but it seems to be they don't understand like why they couldn't do something. It's like oh, I wasn't, you know. I guess it's that age, isn't it, the way they they don't know the reason why, but it's always from a negative point of view. I think it people down, don't they? But that, this is this is this is ones who are, are very active and they can see that they're succeeding. They, they they've got evidence of that, and they know they're doing better. But their self-reflection always seems to come from like a, a negative point of view. I think that, I think that goes down to psychology. It's easy to, easier to be self-critical, yeah, and undersell yourself rather than oversell for yourself. And I think that's where it, it's about getting them. Well, if you if you can crow, you should crow. You should if you can if you want to be that cockerel because you're that good at something. It's okay to actually crow about it. Um, but I think the problem is is that when I think it's that fear of failure that maybe they're always trying to play up to us because they, they, I don't know, maybe, maybe they just want our, um, a pre, they, they want us to praise them because we want to praise them rather than 
because they think that they deserve to be praised, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think they value praise from us as well, don't they? Yeah. Because they're, they're essentially, like you said before, we see them every day. So it's a different kind of praise that they might get from um, parents or siblings or whatever. Uh, I mean, I think the big one there is that we just want them, like I said, anybody, it, it doesn't matter what level. If somebody says to me that, oh, sir, never guess what I did this weekend. I went out into the garden and played cash from my dad. Oh, brilliant, fantastic. It, it'd be the same they would get the same from me, regardless if they'd have gone played in a, a cup final or um, or even just down at the local park. It, it, as long as they're out doing something and they're, they're trying to get better, I think that that's the big thing. But like you've gone, going back to what you said in regards to them wanting praise, I think that's a, it's a difficult one. They've got to be able to self-reflect and actually be, be happy that they've done something, if they've achieved. But then we go into smart targets and about if they've achieved what, how do you measure against the goal and things like that? I, I do wonder whether that's just about how the question is phrased. As you say, like I, I, I would agree it's it's a very typical response of people to, to want to be critical first. But actually, if your first reflective question is, um, you know, how have I moved towards my goal today? Like that's a very difficult question to actually then answer in a negative way. And I wonder whether it's just the mechanism in which the reflection happens whether that's just in their own head or whether that's them writing it down or, or, you know, annotating it or whatever. I do think actually it's, it's maybe just the questions and, and how we set that up. Okay. Yeah. There's times I'm, I'm going to want to be really critical and that's absolutely fine and kind of making sure they're comfortable with that, but it's not that kind of like almost negative vortex that just sucks you down and sucks you down and sucks you down. And suddenly you're, you're talking about, you know, self-confidence issues and self-doubt and those types of things. It's, it's teeing them up to be saying, actually, we can still be critical, but we can be positive with our criticality. I think I totally agree with that. And I think that for one, I think in regards to when it comes to that self-reflection, what you've gone and said, if, they, if it is a negative, I think it's important for us as coaches to actually spin it around into a be a positive. And it's an automatic, if somebody says, oh, I didn't do that very well this week. Okay, so what we're going to do to try and improve next time? And I think is if you as a coach spin it around straight away and say to them, oh, oh, we're going, um, oh well, I'm going, to, I'm going to do this, this and this. And that's a win. If they're able to say, I'm going to go and practice my kicking a bit more when we get out onto the field tomorrow, fantastic, that's a win. And I think that's the biggest thing. But as coaches, we've got to praise the fact that they've reflected, but also give them an opportunity to say, don't worry about what happened. It's about what you do now, which is the most important. And, and as you said, yeah, ultimately they're learning anyway. But ref yeah. reflection is going to lead to some learning. So there's, there's never going to be necessarily a... Yeah, it's never a lost opportunity, I think, and and probably just making that really clear as well. Um, guys, this has been class, and as yeah, it's twenty past nine at night, so I uh, I want to let you crack on. But um, just before we go, have, and I I didn't prep you for this, so apologies. But have you got any other recommendations um, for content? Is there anything that you'd steer people towards that that you haven't mentioned? Um, no drama if you haven't. As I said, I've, I've thrown you under the bus there, but um, by all means, don't be if you do. Uh, I, I I got one. What's the name? Um, Kathy. I'm sorry, I've got to find it. Sorry about it. This is that awkward pause I'm doing. <laughs> Andy, have you got one? Do you want to jump in? Uh, I'm just trying to think because for my most of most of my coaching references are all they're all strength conditioning books. So I, I again I would just say go and 
listen to Dan John's podcast. His podcast is really good. Um, he talks less about athletes nowadays. It's more just the general general population, but definitely worth a listen. Um, he's got hundreds, just bangs out a podcast every week. It's, it's really good. Yeah. And, it, and his books, books are really cheap on, on Kindle as well. So I would say, yeah, he's the man. Um, for me, for me, is um, Kath Bishop. She's um, I, I saw her speak at a conference and unbelievable. It's about um, it's basically what uh, basically how do we measure success? That is basically how to how she how do we redefine it? And um, if you can get an opportunity to listen to some of her work, it, it's fantastic because. She's a professor now, and, and she was an Olympic medalist as well. And it it really the way that she was talking about her life, she was never actually a sporty person, just simply through semantics from the coach, or never been picked. However, she went to university, and then she was well, she I think it was an Olympic silver medalist. Uh, and I think it's just about how we redefine what success is. And she, she also does other stuff about like mentality of uh, a winner's mentality. Well, actually, what is a winner's mentality? It depends what success is to you, defines what a winner's mentality is. So she, she would be definitely something that I'd suggest. Awesome. Uh, the book is The Long Win. She's, she's been, a, was, yeah, she was awesome. So uh, yeah. good, good recommendation. Um, guys, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to round up the roundup to all those listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to a great discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Mm-hmm.